founded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the spirit. I am a child of God. God have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the word. If you see me wandering up here, I'm trying to find where there's not a heat flow. Somebody turned on the heat, and I'm trying to dodge it. Well, people were saying that was cool. It was cool. We know. <laughs> Glory to God. We praise the Lord. We've got heat. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Yes. Glory to God. It is wonderful. But we're a little closer to it. You wouldn't think a couple of inches makes a big deal, but it, it does. It's a huge difference. Oh, man. Glory to God. Well, honey, and why it, don't you... It, uh, it's six inches, so... Okay. <laughs> well, it's a little more than a few inches then. Well, a few, three or more. Anyways, why don't you pray and we'll get into All the right. word. Well, Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank, thank you for you, for these wonderful Glory people to coming God. to hear your word. Thank you, they Father. come with an expectant heart, yes. expecting to hear thank from you. you. Lord, please uh, oh. give us the words that need to be spoken, the words that are just right Speak for those that are here tonight lips, and those that are listening online. Yes. Lord, we know that you your will will be done, and 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 we just we we open ourselves to it, Lord. We just ask that you come and you and you and you be with us. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, or destroy, and you cannot operate here. You must go in Jesus' Jesus mighty mighty name. name. Glory to God. Well, let's confess this together. Say, Father God, I am expecting. I am expecting. I am receiving. I am receiving. My spiritual antenna is up. My spiritual antenna is up. In fact, Father. In fact, Father. I command my brain to shut up. I command my brain to shut up. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I command name. my ears. I command my ears to be to open. To listen up. To listen up. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I command. I command. My tongue. My tongue. To open up. To open up. And receive the word. And receive the word. I command. I command. My eyes to see. My eyes to see. The word clearly and plainly. The word clearly and plainly. Father. Father. I release my spirit. I release my spirit to receive from you. To receive from you all that I need. All that I need in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, why did I command your tongue to open up and to receive? Because the receiving of the word is interactive. What? The receiving of the word is interactive. You know, when I grew up, we grew up in the Episcopal Church, where unless it was time to do the united praying, you didn't make a peep. It was that was uncultured. That wasn't God. You didn't talk. You didn't say Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing. The only time you made any noise was when you were singing with the choir, or and that was monotone and marched, or you were or, or you were saying uh, the Lord be with us through the prayers and things like that. In fact, I remember distinctly as a teenager. Thinking that I knew, because I had been through confirmation class at the age of 13. And the only reason I went through confirmation class was so I could drink the wine. Because, you know, it's legal then. I'm just being honest. There's no sense in hiding, right? Let's be honest. Just being honest. 
And because I had been through confirmation class and I had learned all the different the names of the books of the Bible and where they were and who and, and you know your basic information about them. And I had memorized the Lord's Prayer and Psalms 23 and you know done all those memorizing things that you do and did all that. I thought I knew how to operate in the church. After all, I was an acolyte. I got to carry the cross or I got to light the little candles. I got to ring the little bells. I had it going on. So I thought I knew how to behave in church. I knew what man said about how to behave, not what God said about how to behave in church. No, to receive the word, you have to interact. Everything that we do is based on what comes out of this mouth right here. If you have, if you say a lot of negative things, do you know whatever you say you have? If you sit there and go, I just can't learn, guess what? You will not be able to learn. Well, I just don't know what to do. You will never know what to do. If you say, my dad, you know, my stepdad, you know, he he didn't raise us in church or anything, but he somehow knew that your words mattered. And uh, he was a mechanic. And do you know that mechanics' cars are always in need of repair? And painters' houses always need painting. And plumbers' houses always need plumbing work. And hair dressers' hair is never completely styled. And, you know, things like that. Did you? She said, wow. <laughs> Did you, you know, have you ever gone to have your nails done and notice your nail tech has the shortest little nails there are? They're, they're not usually done. Or they have that one long nail that's like... And the rest are real short. Have you ever noticed that? You know, these, these things are just kind of the way it is, right? <laughs> That's just kind of the way it is. Um, so my dad, I guess because doing mechanics or whatever, he understood that your words were powerful. And because he was a mechanic, how much you know our cars always needed a little mechanical help. So we would go on a road trip, and the tires wouldn't be in great shape or anything like that. And we, he had a very stern rule. You never said anything negative about the car. You never said, I don't know why we're going on this. We're going to get a flat tire. We're going to end up, we had this little thing called vacation spot. Does anybody know what a vacation spot is when it comes to driving? That's where you, that's where you were broke down and stuck for several hours on the side of the road. In fact, when I drive to Tampa, there's still to this day certain places that I'm like, that's a vacation spot right there. <laughs> you know, um, but there's there's all these little vacation spots and different things like that. He'd, he'd always say, you know, you'd start to say, the car's making that noise. We're going to break down. Oh, my gosh, you would get chewed off real bad. Why? Because he understood that your words are powerful. Well, just like they're powerful negative, they're also powerful in the positive. So... And God created the world, the universe, with his words. And he created us in his image. So when we speak, things happen. So when you hear something in the preaching that is, there's a little poke on the inside, your spirit goes, hey, kind of there's a little poke on the inside. You need to open your mouth and go, I receive that, Lord. You need to go, amen. Amen means so be it. I agree with it. Let it come to pass. That's why some. That's why the person sitting two seats over from you annoys you because they go amen through this whole service. It's because they're receiving. And that doesn't bother us. That doesn't bother us at all. Now, don't be disrespectful and be a parrot just to be a parrot. But, you know, if you're, if you, how you get the word down in you is you agree. 
And that's why I said, I command my tongue to open up and receive. What are we telling? What are we telling? I'm t- you, what, you're, what you're doing is say, tongue, when you hear mouth, when you hear something, when that spirit pokes you, then you get to move in and you receive. Amen. That's good. Lord, I receive that. Somebody gets a word of prophecy. Listen, I don't care what service I'm in. If I'm in a service and the minister is ministering as a minister that I trust, and they give a word of prophecy to somebody, and I'm like, I could use that. Yeah, it's for them, but it's also for me if I'll receive it. So when they're praying, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm praying, Lord, give them what they need. And if they need what I need, Lord, I'm taking it too. I'm taking it too. And so I was saying all this about in church. So when I was a teenager and growing up in the Episcopal Church in the 70s and the 80s. Now, when you went to the church in the 70s and the 80s, the Episcopal Church, they understood that you dressed your best for God. Now, they weren't real good about explaining that to the, to the younger generations. They, said, they just said, you wear what I tell you to wear, and that's the way it is. Why we had to wear the pantyhose and the white shoes and the Easter hat. and the, I don't know, but this is what we wear, right? But I found out later, you give God your best. But I thought I understood everything, and I went with my ho- my pantyhose on and my cute little shoes and my dress and, you know, did your little hair and, you know, what have you. And you went to church, and you sat all prim and proper, and you did all your, you know, the Lord be with us and your songs. And, well, this gentleman come to church. And he was a big gentleman. He was tall and he was very heavy set. And he came into church looking like he was unbathed and unshowered. And he had on those cotton gym shorts and that white t-shirt that had stains all on it. And he wore his house slippers, probably because he couldn't fit nothing else in his feet. But he just didn't look clean. He didn't look kept up or anything like that. And I'll be, if he didn't just go straight to the front of the church and sit in the second pew. What is wrong with this man? That's not how this. This is the way I talked as a teenager. That's not how you come to church. That's not how you dress. Lord, somebody needs to deal with that man. That's what I told the Lord as a snotty little teenager. And then that man would get to saying when the preacher would preach his 20 minute pre-made sermon, he'd go, amen, brother. Hallelujah. I receive it. That's good. Come on, pastor. Preach some more. And I, there I sit in my pew, all high and mighty. Lord, that's not how you behave. Lord, somebody needs to teach him some manners. Lord, don't he know he's just supposed to sit here and be quiet? How much do you know? The Lord said, oh, watch this. It took him about, oh, mm, probably close to 15 years, but I learned my lesson. Because when, when God got my attention, I sat on the back row of the church, trying to prove it was a cult. And on the front row, there sat the praise team leaders. And they'd say, amen, hallelujah, preach it, pastor. Come on. What? And I'd sit back there with my little attitude. These people are nuts. I don't know about these people. I'm telling you, this is a cult. I proved it wasn't. It wasn't too long before. I mean, the Lord got my attention in the first service, and I started still tried to prove him wrong for about six months. And uh, it wasn't long before we were on the fourth row from the front. And then the next thing I knew, we were on the, the Lord said, come up there and sit in that row. We were sitting right behind them. 
you know, you hang around the creek long enough, eventually you fall in. It wasn't long before all of a sudden the pastor's preaching in the middle of the sermon because my heart is open to God because I'm coming with an expectancy because I want to receive. All of a sudden, up out of my spirit, my tongue went, Amen! And I looked around. I found out that came out of me. That came out of me. But from that day forward... My spiritual growth took off by leaps and bounds. Why? Because I was receiving. I wasn't sitting and just doodling my own thing. You I wasn't being a bump on a texting. log. I, no, I wasn't being a bump on a log. Or a pew warmer. I wasn't being a pew warmer. How, many, was, how much How much you know Jesus doesn't like warm pew? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so no, we're going to, we're going to receive. Pastor, are you sure we're going to get past one verse? Yep. I don't know. We're going to receive. We, we got to receive the word. So when you feel that little warm fuzzy on the inside, when you feel that little poke on the inside, here's the other thing. God corrects those who he loves. If we preach something and it stomps on your foot, you know, it kind of pokes you kind of like a, you know, cattle prod. You kind of go, ooh, you kind of jump with a not so great feeling. Instead of getting offended and upset, why well, preachers got why are they up in my mail? Who's been talking to them about me? What's this about? Instead of getting offended, what you do instead is you say, "Ouch, hallelujah." I learned that from Reverend Larry Hutton. You don't have to say it loud. Yeah. Most people don't even, we're not, we're usually not talking about you. Yeah, yeah, that's when, when y'all go, actually, real loud, that's when I go, oh, that was for them, Lord. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know. Not always, sometimes I know. Well, glory to God. Well, we're going to take off in Galatians, chapter 6. We've been on Galatians, this is now, I didn't change it on 14. the computer, I'll have to change it. This is week 14 of Galatians. And we've been talking about Galatians, and just to give you a little tiny little heads up, Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul, who before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, uh, Paul went by his first name, Saul. Saul. His name was actually Saul Paul of Tarsus. That was his name. Saul Paul of Tarsus. God didn't actually change his name. He just went from going by his first name to going by his middle name. So uh, prior to meeting Jesus, he went by Saul. And when he was operating in the world as Saul, he was a Pharisee. Um, which meant that they only believed in the Old Testament. Well, there was, no, there was nothing but the Old Testament. But they were very religious Jews. Uh, they were very strict Jews. They were very strict about the law. But they worked the law according to what worked for them. It's kinda, they kind of made the law, you know, they, they interpreted it in their favor. Let's put it that way. And um, they did not like, the Pharisees hated Jesus because uh, Jesus' teachings and Jesus' doctrines undid a lot of what the Pharisees had put into place in their favor. And they didn't like that. And so, and they believed that, that and they, the Pharisees believed that Jesus was a false messiah. And they believed that the people that received Jesus uh, were in error. And so they would have Saul, they would give Saul letters um, so that he could go through the Roman territories and collect Christians for persecution. 
In fact, Paul was there. He actually held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen while Stephen was preaching, while Stephen's face shined like an angel. And Paul was there, and he held their coats, and he was consenting. But it was shortly after that that Paul, that Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus um, supernaturally. So now, uh, after Saul's conversion to Christianity, Saul is sent by God to go minister to the Gentiles, those outside of the covenant, those that, um, that weren't of Jewish background. Uh, but, of course, Paul ministered to the Jews that would hear him. But his primary ministry was to the Gentiles. And one of the places that Paul ministered was at the church of Galatia. So here at the church of Galatia, um, Paul had been there priorly. And Paul helped to establish this church. And Paul got these believe, these new believers going along the right path of following Christ. And he turned the church over to one of the people that he had raised up to pastor the church. And then Paul went on the journey to preach Christ in other places. But some time had passed, and the church at Galatia had a little problem. The little problem was with some of these Pharisees and some of these very zealous Jews came into the church, and they were convincing the people in the church to get circumcised, to eat only what was allowed for the Jews to eat, to take up the practices of the law. And basically what they were doing is they were removing them from following Christ to following the old Jewish law, which was no longer active because of Christ. So through all of this letter, Paul is, has been telling them time and time again, He's, he's said, he's talked to them about circumcision doesn't do you any good. In fact, if you go and get circumcised for the purpose of following the law, then you have to do the entire law. You have to do the blood sacrifices. You have to, you have to follow all of the ordinances. You have to do everything. You have to do the Sabbaths. You have to, you have to follow everything. He said, basically he said, if you're going to follow the law, you have to do all the law. You can't just do bits and pieces of it because Christ is the law, your freedom in Christ. And then he goes on and he tells them, but here's the deal. Don't use your freedom in Christ to live however you want to in the flesh. Your freedom, your liberty in Christ is so that you could live like you should. In other words, Christ puts things in you so that you are able to live According to what God wants you to do. You're, when you receive Christ, you are now able, because of his power in you, you are now able to stop sinning. Which is choosing to wrong to, instead of, sin is choosing to do wrong when you know what is right. And he says, so because we have Christ in us, we now have the ability to walk according to the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, he lists... In ver we're not going to list it, we're not going to read it, but in verses 19 uh, through 21, he lists, he says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. And he says, these are the works of the flesh. And we've given you a cheat sheet with all the definitions of what all those words mean. And there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there about what these words mean. 
For sake of time, we're not going to go back over them. You've got to go back and listen to last week's and the week's before sermon. And I'm sure there's more cheat sheets around. And too. there are more cheat sheets available. And, uh, but he said in verse 22, he said, but the fruit of the Spirit... He said, so Paul, so now Paul is getting into the nitty of the gritty. He's winding down his letter and he's, and he's now pointing us to the Spirit, to what Jesus gave us. And he said, when you have, when you received Jesus, you also received this fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this fruit is in you. How much do you know when you plant a fruit tree in your yard, everything that that tree needs to produce that fruit is available in that tree? In the seed. In the seed. Everything is everything. If you plant an apple tree, everything to, for that tree to produce an apple is in there. The blueprint of how that tree needs to grow that apple is in the seed or in the sapling of the apple tree. That apple tree is not going to produce oranges. It's not going to produce peaches. It's not going to produce figs. On our property, we have an apple tree and a fig tree planted in very close proximity to each other. Do you know that, a fig, that an apple never grows on a fig tree? Never. Why? Because it's a fig tree. It's what it grows. Now, here's something that's amazing. I was getting very frustrated. I wanted grapes. I wanted white grapes. It's what I wanted. And so I have planted not once, not twice, but three times, white grapes on our property. First two times, my plants, they started to grow, they started to produce, and then they died. The second time, the last one, now that thing's grown for years. Do you know that thing has never produced a white grape? And I was talking to my dad, who is a farmer, and I'm like, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what is wrong. Every time I plant a white grape tree, a grape vine, it grows muscadines. Every single time. What is, what is wrong with these grapes? I said, am I getting the wrong thing? What am I doing? He said, no, honey. He said, that vine is doing what it was created to do. I said, what are you talking about? He said, white grapes are not natural. I said, what do you mean? He said, they're a creation of man. I said, what? He said, they've manipulated through through making hybrids and, and putting different and grafting, he said they've manipulated the muscadine to have a thinner skin, to have a paler color, to produce a softer seed. He said that he said if that if that white grapevine is not in the perfect environment, it will always go back to its original design. It will always go back to a muscadine. I didn't know that. A large percentage of the food that we have produced are the corn that we eat. Do you know the corn that we eat actually came from the Indians' corn? They've just, through years of different, of selective growth, they've changed God's original design. What we call corn, the people in the Bible called maize. It's been altered through, through man. Well, guess what? When you came into Christ, well, when you were born into this world, we, our bodies, were altered by sin. But when we come into Christ, Christ puts, puts gifts in us, and he alters us back to our original design through the Spirit. 
And in our spirit, we can produce nine wonderful characteristics of God. We produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, and temperance, which is self-control. I just don't have any self-control. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have self-control. What you have to do is you have to exercise it. And you have to claim it, too. You can't just keep saying, you can't keep speaking out of your mouth, I don't have any self-control. Because if you keep saying you don't have any self-control, guess what? Your words are powerful, you won't have any self-control. It it, it will be very hard to operate in that self-control. We tell you this all the time. When it comes to these nine fruits, you can't really pray for these nine fruits. Father, you tell me that the Spirit's full of patience, and Father, that means that I have patience, but Lord, I could use the second dose. Let me tell you how you get the second dose when you pray for it. Michael and I have done this. Y'all have heard this. Michael and I, when we first got married, we found out we had these wonderful fruits. We said, Lord, patience. We need patience with each other. We said the one we we have the least of is patience. Yeah, the one we we have the least amount. We need need patience with each other because we were trying to fix our marriage. We need patience with each other. We need need self-control. But, Lord, we really need patience. Father, give us more patience. He said, certainly, youth ministers. See, God didn't need to put any more patience in us because everything we need to produce patience is already in us. What he had to do is he had to put us in an environment where we had to grow that fruit. So he put us in a situation where we had to learn to be patient because when you deal with teenagers, they will work your ever-living last nerve. And if you're rough with them, they melt down on you. And if they melt down on you, they take it to mom and dad. And then mom and dad melt down on you. Yeah. Not a good thing. And I had, we had youth that they said, the parents looked at us, they said, we can't do anything with them. Whatever you need to do, just do it. If you need to, if you need whatever you need to do. Just beat them if you have to. And then bring them home and we'll beat them. Cool. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, how much, you know, we had to learn patience. Yeah, and, and if you've ever been around a teenager, have you ever asked a teenager, what's going on in your world? Have you ever asked them about, like, a specific situation? Hey, how's the situation with your car? Or with your school project or your teacher. And then half an hour to 45 minutes later, you still don't know the update. But they've been talking the whole time. Have you ever experienced that? Patience. Patience. And dear Lord, don't ever ask them to back up. Oh, my goodness. See, these fruits are in us. And so Paul said, here are these fruits. He said, walk in these fruits. If you'll walk in these things, you will never have to be concerned with breaking the law of God. Woo, how much, you know, that's good news. Because the Jews were overwhelmed. What do you mean they were overwhelmed? I challenge you, go read the book of Leviticus and come back to me at church on Sunday, and we'll talk about being overwhelmed with the law. Because you're going to come into me, and you're going to go, 
um, I'm going to ask, did you, did, you, did you read the book of Leviticus? Did you get the law settled down? Do you know what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do? And if you mess up, do you know what to do in that situation? You're going to look at me and go, I tried. I'm confused. I think if this person does this, they stone me or I stone them. I'm not sure. Well, no, not for that offense. That's, that's a different offense. You know, um, it's, it's complicated. So how much you know for the Jews to hear, you don't have to memorize all the law. All you have to do is walk in these fruits. How much you know that's a big deal for them? So Paul said, verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. If you belong to Christ, that means that you have nailed your flesh to the cross, not literally. Don't go home, get your cross, and nail yourself, and have us have to call, you know, have your family call us and be like, you told them to crucify, and I don't know, they've got out two pieces of wood, the nails, and the paramedics had to show up, and it was a bad scene. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't use no. a stapler either. Yeah, don't, don't staple yourself. That doesn't work well. Don't do that. No. What you do is you, when your flesh wants to act out, you say, no, no, I'm going to operate in patience. When your flesh wants to rip somebody's head off, you say, no, no, I'm going to walk in love. When your, patient, when, your, when your flesh wants you to go do something you should not go do, you say, no, I'm going to exercise self-control. That's crucifying the flesh. When you're having a really uh, busy and hectic and extreme day at work, just count it all joy yep. and be at peace. Yep, be at peace. It's going to be fine. None of this was a surprise to Jesus. He's got my answers. It's going to be okay. At least you got a job and you're bringing home a paycheck. Praise God. Praise God. Um, He said, "He said, if you will, if you will crucify the flesh, you will not do, um, you will not fulfill the the affections of the lust. In other words, you're not going to do what the the what the flesh wants to do." He said, "If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit." What does that mean, if we live in the Spirit? Well, if you belong to Jesus Christ, your spirit is alive onto God, and now instead of living from up here, you now have to start living from down here. I live from my stomach. No, your spirit is down in your inner man. Your spirit actually goes, reaches farther than you can imagine. But your spirit's down on the inside. That's where God is on the inside, and that's what leads you. And so if your spirit is alive onto God, then it's time for you to walk or behave or be led by your spirit, not your flesh. Amen. That's what that means. All right. Let's keep going. All right. So if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, listen, don't be sitting there irritating each other and, oh, you're messing up and you're doing this wrong or I'm doing this better than you. And, you know, oh, man, I got this. I, I haven't had, I haven't lost my temper in three days. Don't be doing that because as soon as you say that, here comes a temptation. <laughs> and it's going to be a big one. Don't get all puffed up. No, just, Father, I thank you that every moment of every day, my fruit is working. I'm thinking, I'm because when I guarantee you, ask me how I know, been there. You can, get, you can get so good at walking in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control that you begin to think, man, I got this. And people will start to see God working in you, and they'll begin to build you up. 
They'll begin to say, man, there's just something awesome about you. You're a little different. You've got all this love. You've got all this joy. You've got to go, yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. And the second you do that, here comes the devil with the biggest test of your life on your joy. Here comes the biggest test of your life on patience. Here comes the biggest test on self-control. He said, don't, don't get vainglorious. He said, don't do that. He said, no. He said, don't provoke, don't aggravate one another. He said, don't get envious because they're walking the walk and you're not or whatever. He said, keep yourself in check. All right, let's keep going. All right, chapter Chapter 6. All right, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Lest thou be tempted. This is what I just said. Don't get, don't get. We talked about this big last week. Don't think that you're that you are so efficient in walking in the spirit that you cannot fall. Because if you go after somebody, or if you if somebody falls, and you attack them, or you shun them, or you come against them, instead of loving them and restoring them. Uh, then you are at risk of coming under the same type of attack. We use the example of Jimmy Swaggart. Many of us remember Jimmy Swaggart from years ago. He got busted having an affair outside of his marriage. And he was a big international minister at the time. And, uh, uh, the whole, the whole, I mean, the whole church world shunned him. The whole church world attacked him. I mean, he, he was as low as low. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. This had been going on for quite some time at this point. And nobody would have anything to do with him. They were all talking about him, about how horrible he was and how nobody had anything to do with him. Anything. And I mean, he was low. But he had already publicly repented. He had already said, I was wrong. My behavior was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I got messed up. I made bad choices. This was all on me. I mean, he, he publicly repented, and the church world still shunned him. Well, then he showed up at Reverend Kenneth E. Hagin's, one of his camp meetings, his camp meeting that year. And uh, some people recognized him, and they made sure that because he was who he was, they made sure that he got kind of a prime seat there near the front. I don't remember if he was on the first, second row or whatever, uh, but he was close enough up that Reverend Kenneth Hagin recognized him. And Kenneth Hagin said, well, he got up on his platform and he said, well, is that brother Jimmy Swagger that I see? And they all nodded, and yeah, that was him. And he said, Brother Swagger, will you please join me on the platform? And, and right about now, Jimmy Swagger thought, this is, this is Reverend Kenneth Hagin. He stands at the forefront of the prophet's office. He's, I mean, he's, he's the father of faith of our day, and he's calling me up. And he honestly thought that Dad Hagin was going to rip him down like everybody else had. But he went up there. And he went up there, and he stood very humbly before Dad Hagen. We call him Dad Hagen as a term of endearment. And Reverend Hagen, he stood before him, and Reverend Hagen turned to him, and Reverend Hagen said, Brother Jimmy, notice he recognized him as a Christian. 
He, rec- he didn't say, you dirty, sorry scoundrel. He said, Brother Jimmy. He said, Brother Jimmy, he said, you know that we don't condone sin. We don't agree, or we don't agree with sin, and we don't condone sin, and we don't condone what you did. And Jimmy Swaggart responded. He said, yes, sir, I'm aware of that, and I understand, and you shouldn't condone it by any means. He was very humble about it. He said, but Brother Swaggart, he said, we also believe in restoration. You've repented. You, you've said you're sorry that you were wrong. You've repented before God. And Galatians 6.1 tells us that we who are spiritual are supposed to restore our brother. So Jimmy, so he said, so Brother, ja- brother Stewart, or Swaggart, he said, Brother Swaggart, he said, I want you to know that I forgive you and that we all here forgive you. And and brother uh, Jimmy, he said, not only do we forgive you, but we, but, but he said, I love you and we love you. And then he told the congregation, he said, congregation, stand. And they all stood. He said, reach your hands out towards brother Jimmy. And they reached their hand out. And he said, let's all say this together. He said, brother Jimmy, we forgive you. The congregation said, brother Jimmy, we forgive you. He said, Brother Jimmy, we love you, and we want to see you restored. And the whole congress I mean, there was, I mean, the, the whole place was packed, thousands of Christians. And the whole place very loudly, very boldly proclaimed, Brother Swaggart, we love you, and we want to see you restored. And, of course, Jimmy Swaggart was known for being a crying puddle anyways. So, of course, the water work started, and he was a puddle. And, and this is what he said. He said, this is the first time in over six months that anybody in the body of Christ has had a kind word to say to me. How did Dad Hagen know to do this? He knew to do this because he, priorly when he was pastoring, he he was studying the word. And he looked at verse 1 and he said, Lord, he said, why Why does the church, why does it seem like the church doesn't ever do Galatians 6, 1? And the Lord responded to him and he said, well, that's simple, son. And Dad Hagen said, well, what do you mean it's simple, Lord? The Lord will talk to you just like this. He said, he said well, that's simple. He said, the answer's in the verse. So Dad Hagen read the verse. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He said, Lord, I don't see it. He said, read it again. And he read it again. And he did it. Lord, I don't see it. He read it again. This went on about three or four times. And he said, Lord, I just don't see it. He said, read it one more time. So he read it. And he said, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault... You which are spiritual, restore. He said, I see it. I see it. I see it. Lord said, what do you see? He said, it says, if you be spiritual. He said, Lord, nobody in the, he said, nobody in my church practices this verse. That means nobody in my church is spiritual. They're walking in the flesh. They're walking in emotion. They're not walking in meekness. Because meekness forgives and meekness restores. This is how you can tell 
he says, he said, so he began to pray, so from, he, so he began to teach his people to be meek. To teach, he began to teach them on the fruit. See, if you'll restore, so, listen, when, when, and here's the deal. A lot of people mess this up. We'll see this in the next couple of verses. But a lot of people mess this up because love is kind and lover, love covers a multitude of sin. People think that what that means is that we help people to hide their sin. That's not what that means. That's not what it means. If Brother Derek is in a sin, a hidden sin, and I happen to find out about it through a conversation or I go over to his house and I happen to see something that's not appropriate or whatever, and I go to him, this is how I help him. I go to him and I say, Brother Derek, I'm not trying to be up in your business, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're supposed to hold each other accountable. And I happen to notice this, or you said this, and it kind of made me wonder if there's something going on. You know, and I know that when there's a sin, Satan, the first thing Satan always tells you to do is to hide it. But that's the worst thing you can do, because as long as you hide it, then he's got you in the chains. So if there's something going on, I, I, I want to help you. I'm not going to go blab it. I'm not going to go gossip it about it. But I want to help you get out of this situation. What's going on? Then Derek can tell me, this is what's going on. Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Now, because I'm a woman and he's a man, you know, I need to have this conversation with my husband. So it's men with men and women with women because sometimes you can get to counseling the wrong, the opposite sex and other sins can creep up. But no, he said be insinuated or it can be insinuated. Uh, But so we our job is to restore. See, Dad Hagen publicly restored Jimmy Swaggart because publicly he had been humiliated and called out. So that had to be public. But it doesn't always have to be public. But you do need your brothers and sisters to help build you up and rescue you. Because Satan wants to isolate you. And if you're spiritual, you'll help them get extra, get a few other people that you can trust in there to help. Um, but and, and begin to restore this person. Begin to say, listen, you know this is a sin. You know this separates you from God. You know you have to change. You know you have to stop. What is causing this? When are you having this problem? What changes can we make to strengthen you so you can break free? Sometimes you might need somebody to check on you every day around a certain time. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you need somebody to help you study it out. Maybe you need pastoral counseling. So when you love someone, you don't help them hide their sin. You help them to come out of their sin. That's what this is about. And, and, you, and you do it in meekness because, you know, every I mean, because this person's been overtaken by a fault and he's one of your brothers or sisters. We've all been overtaken by faults. We, no one, we've all been there. We all have, have been in the place where where we've been at fault and we've done the wrong thing. And, and we need to keep that in mind when we're, we're helping someone else because – we can all fall prey to this. And, and, and notice there's the semicolon. He says, what I'm fixing to say is directly connected to what I just said. He said, consider thyself. Now, wait a minute, Lord. They're the one with the problem. I need to consider myself. He said, yeah, consider yourself least that thou also be tempted. 
if you take down, if you go and you attack Jimmy Swagger, the same spirit of adultery that attacked Jimmy Swagger because you are not being because you're not following the scriptures because you're not walking in love because you're gossiping you're backbiting you're tearing down you've opened your door to that same spirit of adultery and now at some point down the road you may be overtaken in an adultery situation yourself because you've opened your door to that spirit in fact that's what happened to jimmy swagger There was another minister that disagreed with Jimmy Swaggart on some doctrinal issues, and he was always attacking Jimmy. And so Jimmy purposely went out to find a fault with this pastor, with this other minister. And the fault that he found was that minister was also was was having relations with a prostitute or something, and he exposed that minister. Well, out of spite, that minister... That same spirit that got him exposed, that that same spirit got a hold of that got in cahoots with that adulterous spirit and came and began to get to 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 deal with Jimmy, and before you knew it, Jimmy was in adultery himself. So this is why the spirit says, consider yourself before you go taking somebody else down. You make sure that you want to be taken down the same way. And we see this we see that we see this all the time. We see a ministry get busted for some financial thing and a lot of times the same ministry that was responsible for busting that ministry within a few years gets busted for the same problem. And you're like, you bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because they open the door to that same sin, that same spirit of sin. All right. All right. Verse, Verse 2. Verse Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, that says bear ye uh, one another's burdens. It actually means to help carry. That's what we were just talking about. You know, let, when I gave the example with Derek, Derek, let me help you carry this burden so you can get over it. I'm not getting into the sin with them because sometimes people say, well, you're sinning, so I'll, you know, and they, they think, well, you're sinning, so it's okay for me to sin, or, or we'll do this together and we'll help each other to get free. No, 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 that's not how you get free. That's how you get deeper in. No, what it means to carry it is let me take some of the pressure off of you. Let me come alongside of you and carry you until you can get out of this let me pray for you let me pray let me pray for you let me get you the help that you need that's what this verse is about and in doing so you fulfill the law of christ which is loving your brothers and sisters amen all right verse three i'm excited for if a man think himself to be something then he is nothing he deceiveth or, when, or excuse me, for a man, if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. How much do you know? It doesn't matter how good you get at walking with Christ, you're still nothing without him. You're still nothing without him. This was one of the things that Matthew pointed out, that, uh, that Matthew recorded um, in the Beatitudes. One of the things that Jesus told them is until you learn you can do nothing without me, you're going to miss out on the blessings of God. That's one of the things that he said. You know, and so it doesn't matter how much word 
we understand. It doesn't matter how good we are at working, walking in the Spirit. It doesn't matter how good we are in, in letting our fruit develop. If it wasn't for the Spirit on the inside leading us, guiding us, and teaching us, we wouldn't be able to do any of the things that we do. And so don't get built up. Because if you get built up and you say, oh, yeah, it's all me, you're deceiving yourself. This is oftentimes why God uses what's considered the least in, in the kingdom. People, you know, people with stutters, you know, Paul, uh, Moses had a stutter. Um, he murdered somebody. You know, David was an adulterer and he was, a, he was the weak kid of seven brothers, you know, this is why God picks these weak people is because they know their inadequacies. Listen, I know my inadequacies. In the seventh grade, I had a fourth-year college math level and a second-grade reading level. I had to have extra time all the way through school to finish my schoolwork and do my test. Basically, I had a waiver for timed projects because I couldn't accomplish the work in time because of a learning disability. I know my weaknesses. I know my inabilities. I know without God in me, I can't read and study and understand this Bible the way that I do. I know if it's not for the Holy Ghost teaching me, I'd be as confused as any other believer out there that's freshly born again. I know my inabilities. So I know when people come up to me and say, man, you're, you're amazing. You're such a phenomenal teacher. How do you get that much out of that scripture? Every single time, I will refuse to take the glory. Every single time, I will tell you, it is not me. It is the Holy Ghost. Why? Because I refuse to build myself up. I refuse to deceive myself. Because I know without him, I can't do it. Michael knows without God, he can't stand in this pulpit. True. He's afraid to talk to people in public. Well, large crowd. Large crowds. <laughs> yeah. Large crowd. I mean, he, I mean, he gets tongue-tied. He gets overwhelmed. But with God, he doesn't. I get brain lock. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. If, so so Paul says, if, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's saying, don't get puffed up. He says, yet yeah, you might be doing pretty good. But, then he goes on. But, in verse 4, let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What's he saying here? He's talking about our, our, our love walk and walking in Christ and walking in the Spirit. He's saying, you know, the pastors can preach to you all day long about this. They can tell you. They can, they can, they can sit on you and say, nope, you're not going to sin today. I'm going to hold you down and you're not going to be able to sin. That, nobody can force you not to sin. You have to do it on your own. He's saying, you're going to have to do it on your own. You're going to have to prove this walk through yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Not even Jesus can do it for you. That's right. He made it possible, but he can't do it for you. You have to do it on your own. You have to w- become this new creature. You have to have to walk this walk and talk this talk. It's all up to you. And then... In the end, you can be proud of that yep. because then you'll be something. We can prove this out. Jackie and I can prove this out. Jackie came to us years ago. I'm lost, devastated. I can't do this. I need help. I need help horribly. 
God had, God knew it was coming. God knew it was coming. And God, supernatural provision, put it, dropped it in my, Michael's heart, my heart. We, we talked to her. We went through some things. We said 30 days. Quit your job because she was working in a bad place with bad people. Quit your job. Don't tell anybody where you're going. Essentially disappear. Come to our house. Eight, hour, eight hours a day you'll study the word. You'll read eight, hour, eight chapters a day out of the New Testament. Within 30 days, you'll read the New Testament cover to cover. You will do your in hymns, and you will pray and meditate on the word. That's, that, and, and we'll take care of everything else for 30 days. That 30 days turned into approximately a year. Just various things. And towards, towards the end of that, she went out and got a job, was working, getting things established, what have you. When she was in the house with us and she was in the Bible 24-7, man, she had it going on. She was finding stuff in the Word that I had never seen. I mean, she, she had it going on. But she was doing it because, it because she had to do it out of a requirement to have a place to live and a provision. But when she got established on her own and it was no longer the requirement... Everything faded little by little, little by little, little by little. And before you knew it, she was in a hot mess again. And then she came back. I need help. I said, this time you're going to have to do it the hard way. You're going to do it on your own. We'll help you. We'll counsel you. We'll, we'll do the best we can for you. But now it's 100% on you. Is it easy? It's not easy. But are you doing it? That's a, that's a slow shake because she's still got areas she's struggling in. But she's doing it. She's proving the walk little by little by little. And see, when she gets to heaven, she'll be able to rejoice over this. She'll be able to be proud of it, that she made it. Yeah, but you can't really let your guard down until you get there. Yeah. You can, Jackie. The good news is, is you can get to the point where you can look back, and you already can in certain areas of your life. You can look back and you can go, thank God I don't live that way anymore. That's true. Thank God I'm not involved in that sexual sin anymore. Thank God I'm not doing those drugs anymore. Thank God I'm not. Thank God I'm sober and I'm clean. Thank God that my thinking is better. Thank God I am not dependent on somebody else to keep me i'm paying my own bills thank god i know that i can do it thank god god gave me the ability to get through college and get a degree and get a a certification in in the field that god has called me to thank god that i am that 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 my car is still running and it's paid off Thank God. Like, you, there are victories. But in those victories, you also can look over here and go, I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. Oh, Jesus, I really need your help on that. But everything that you take off of this list is a victory that you put on this list. And you get there in, over time. And this is why you're gentle and meek with those that you're helping. Yeah. Because you, know you what still it's need like. help, too. Yeah. And you want you want to be treated the way you would treat someone else. Yep. Glory to God. All right. But you have you are responsible for your own walk. Exactly. We can't do it for you. Nope. Nobody can. Nope. All right. Verse five. For every man shall bear his own burden. See? It's confirming it right there. Listen, I am not gonna have to pay for Jackie if Jackie if there's some sins that she never overcomes, that's not my responsibility. 
I'm not going to have to bear the penalty for her sin. Nope. All I have to take care of is uh, the only burden I have to carry is the sins that I don't get taken care of. The things that the open doors that I left her open, that's my responsibility. The things that the people that I didn't forgive, I have to carry the weight of that. The root of bitterness that I allowed to stay, if that was the case, then that's my burden and nobody else's. It's definitely not the burden of the person that I'm mad at. It's not, that's not, they're not going to get, when I get to heaven, listen, I had, I had, I had huge unforgiveness towards my biological dad. I mean, huge. I mean, it was, it was bad. And I, but you know what, when I get to heaven and I stand, if I held on to that anger, if I held on to that unforgiveness and I had plenty of reason and I was justified in my reasons, but if I held on to that anger and I got to heaven and I said, uh, God, you need to judge him because he did this to me and this to me and this to me and this to me. God's going to look at me and he's going to say, because this, you this, did this, not this, forgive this. him, I cannot forgive you. That's right. That's my fault. That's my issue. Because he's, he, God's going to look at me and God's going to say, I will judge him on him, but I'm judging you on you. You're responsible for your burdens. So here's my goal. My goal is to have a great big huge pile of rewards and a teeny tiny if any at all fire of judgment so it burns up very little of my reward i want a very little my goal i mean it is possible to get there and have no judgment fire it is possible that's my goal lord heap up i want the dump trucks to back up dump 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 and then i want the judgment fire to fall and there be Spark. That's my goal. Some people's goal is, Lord, just let me get in the gate. Which means they're going to get in the gate. The, ain't nothing backing up, dumping a reward, and the judgment fire is going to go. And it's going to look like some pyrotechnic freak show. Um, that's not what I want. I want the reward. It's not what anybody wants. No. <laughs> no. All right. No. Verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now that word communicate would be better translated to partner or to have communion. So let's read it this way. Let him that is taught in the word to partner with him or her that teacheth all good things. You are supposed to become a partner or have communion or have fellowship. Be in fellowship with your pastors. You're supposed to. There's supposed to be a partnership. You're supposed to come alongside and say, Pastor, I'm following you. We're locking arms. We're doing this thing arm to arm together. We're coming in communion together into partnership together in this kingdom of God. See, now, when you come alongside somebody and you partner with them, then then they help you. That's right. You know, See where I go? So, he so, goes. So, so she's helping me to get around. She's helping yep. me to do the right thing. Well, that we were more like. But on the other hand, yep. there'll be times when I'll help her. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is the same kind of relationship that can go on with a pastor and, and, and a flock. congregation That's member. Right. It, it, That's right. Yes, we're going to help you. But you, there's going to be times when you're going to help us. That's right. 
That's what this is supposed to look like. That's what this walk is supposed to look like. I know there's pastors out there that teach, and, you know, maybe they need to get a revelation of the Scripture, that they teach, well, I'm higher, I'm the shepherd, there's the sheep, and we are to be, you know, separated from each other. No, we're to come together, locking arm and arm together. And, but, but notice who the responsibility is on. Is it on the pastor's responsibility to lock arms with you, or is it your responsibility to hook up to your pastor? It's your responsibility. Let him that is taught in the word communicate partnership, come in communion unto him that teacheth. It's up to you to join the to join your pastor. Glory to God. All right. Verse seven. Be not deceived. Ooh, God, come on. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Come on. Now, when Michael and I looked at this, I focused on whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. If you sow love and joy and peace and goodness, meekness, gentleness, let me tell you something. For years, for 17 plus years, 20, close, well, 20, close to 20 years, Pastor Mike and I, we sowed service to the church. If there was a job that needed to be done, we were the first ones there, the last ones to leave, and we worked like dogs the whole time. I mean, we did. We took out trash. We cleaned toilets. We cleaned kitchens. We <laughs> we helped build a building. I mean, I literally, two-story building hung outside, literally sat and hung out the window of a two-story building all the way around the building and scraped all the installation stuff off of them. I mean, you name it, we did it. We worked the nursery. We worked children's department. We changed diapers. We ran the van ministry. We worked in audio. We worked in kitchen. We cleaned the church. Was the pastors? I mean, we worked our tails off. Babysitted the pastor's kids. <laughs> Pastoral aid. We worked our tails off for the king of kings. And it wasn't that long ago, sometime around the, right, right when we became pastors, our dear friend, I was, Mike was out. I don't know, doing stuff on the, with the horses or something with Brother Bill. And I was sitting with Miss Sandra. And uh, Miss Sandra looked at me and she said, you and Mike are absolute workhorses for the kingdom. The people that are drawn to you will also be workhorses. And let me tell you what, we've got a church full of workhorses in this church. I mean, there are projects. I'll come in, I'll be like, this is the project that needs to be done. And before I can even blink, Everybody's already doing stuff, and I'll go to do this, and somebody's already done it. And I'll go to do that, and somebody's already done it. And I'll go to do that, and somebody's already done it. And then she turns around, and they're going, what do we do next? And I'm like, <laughs> wow. See, what you sow is what you reap. If we had been in the church and murmured and complained and created strife and created division and didn't support the pastors. I mean, there were times that our youth, when, when it, things were kind of rough at the end, our young adults and our youth would come to us and they'd say, you're our pastor. What do we need to do? We would stop and we would say, we are not the pastor. They are your pastor. If you're asking me as your, as, as your youth leader or as your young adult minister, this is what I recommend, but you go clarify that I'm right with the pastor. You go clarify, make sure that the pastor, you, you follow your pastor. Had we done it the other way and said, they're wrong, they're in a mess, they can't do, don't listen to them, 
you know, if we had created a strife in our church and a division in our church, then we would have a church that creates strife and division. We didn't sow that seed. So we don't have to worry about reaping that seed. And we still have to continue to sow if we want to continue to harvest. But what you sow is what you reap. If you sow gossip, people are going to gossip about you. If you sow doing wrong things, you are going to reap people doing wrong things to you. That's what that's what it's going to be. That's why I focus on it. Robbie focused on 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 sowing and reaping, which is is absolutely true. What she's focused on is true. But what I focused on is God is not mocked. He knows what you do in the secret. It doesn't matter how you appear on the outside. What you're doing, you know, if nobody else knows what you're doing, what you do in the in the secret, God knows. And you're going that is still seed that is still seed sowed, and you're going to reap from that. The stuff you do behind closed doors, the way you act when you're not in church, the 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 that stuff's going to come back to bite you. God knows it, and He's not going to be mocked. And Satan will always make a show of what He's convinced you to hide. He will always. Everything always comes to the light eventually. Always. Verse eight. All right, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh. Corruption. That word corruption can also be, uh, you can also reap destruction. If you're, if you're reaping things, think about the, think about the, the drinker. Rather, it's a binge drinker or um, a functioning alcoholic that has to have their one or two drinks every single night when they get home. At some point that poison that they're putting in their body is going to cause destruction in their internal organs somewhere it's going to it could if it's the if it's the abusive drinker at night that's going to bring destruction upon the family destruction's coming the other thing will that it'll bring is it'll bring um Another way you would say you will reap uh, perishing or you will reap death. Uh, the, you, you know, if, you, if, there, if it's an alcoholic problem, it's going to reap what you're going to have is death to your family, death to your social life. My grandfather was um, uh, was, it, it, he was he was old school Air Force. I mean, he started the military when it was Army Air Corps, and then they split, and he went Air Force. He was a high-ranking officer in the Air Force, and the way they taught them to function, to, to deal with what they were with. He'd gone through World War II. He'd gone through Vietnam. He, he saw our men, our young 18, 19, 20-year-olds on the tarmacs dying in Vietnam with no medical care. He saw all of that. He was instrumental in 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 developing what we call the mass units today. He was instrumental in it. But how he coped with that was they said, go home and get a drink. Go to the officer's club and just get drunk and forget about your problems. Well, it got to be, he got to be such a severe alcoholic that one night he, his commanding officer called him about a problem and he was so drunk and so just done with everything that he got on the phone with his commanding officer and started and said, bark, 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 and started growling and barking at him like a dog. That's all you do. Bark, bark, bark. How much do you know that brought destruction and death to part of his career? I'd say. 
Yeah, it did. It did. Now, thankfully, because he also loved God, there was restoration. All right. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now, let me just say this. Alcohol is not the only perversion. There's drinking, but there's also inappropriate sex, snorting, toting, whatever else. But there's also gossip. There's also backbiting. There's also unforgiveness. If you refuse to forgive, people will hold unforgiveness to you. I mean, there's just just any sin, any sin will bring these open doors. And on the other side of that, uh, walk it, uh, sowing to the Spirit. You know, you can walk in love. You can read your word. You can pray. You can study. You can uh, be uh, generous with being people. Faithful. There's lots and lots of ways to walk, or to walk, to reap toward or to sow towards the spirit. I tell you what, if you'll be faithful to your word, people will be faithful to you when they give you an answer. If you'll be faithful to God, if you'll be faithful in your marriage, if you'll be faithful to your children, if you'll be faithful to your boss, those people will be faithful to you. They will be. That's one of the fruits of the spirit is faithfulness. Saying, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to do that, or I'll be there at this time being faithful. That will that will bring faithfulness to you. All right. Verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Love this verse. He said, because I want you to underline, let us not. Let us not. That's such, a, that's such an important three words right there because those three words right there tell us that growing weary, growing tired, growing discouraged, growing disappointed, those are choices. Those are choices. We can choose to quit. We can choose. Well, I just, man, every time I turn around, I'm having to repent because I, I'm just so tired of having to repent. You're allowing yourself to grow weary. You're allowing yourself. No, what you say is, Father, I don't care how many times I have to repent. I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to whip this problem. I don't care if I have to repent a thousand times in a day. Catherine Krulman said this. She said she died to self a thousand times a day. In other words, a thousand times a day, her body would say, I want to do that. She'd say, no. I want to talk to this person in this manner. No. I want to just eat that. No. I want to go there. No. I want to go lay down and go to bed. No, you're going to read the word. A thousand times a day, Catherine Kuhlman would tell her body, this is how you're going to respond. And that's how you crucify the flesh. They want me, they want me to go over there and they want me to talk like they talk. No, I'm not doing that. I'm a child of God. They're the child of Satan. I will not corrupt myself with their language. I'm not doing it. That's what this is talking about. So you remember those cartoons when you were a kid where you had the devil on one on one shoulder and an angel on the other and, and they'd all be whispering stuff to you? That's your flesh and your spirit. Yeah. That's, that is that's, more that's, real. That's not, a, that's not a devil and an angel on your shoulder. That's your flesh and your spirit talking to you. That's right. You need to tell your flesh to shut up. I'm listening to this guy over here. Which is why I started the service with brain shut up. Because sometimes your brain talks to you foolishly and you need to just say, brain, shut up. 
I'm not thinking that way. Because your flesh is going to say things. I'm not doing that. Your flesh is going to say things like, I'm tired of repenting. Well, if we'd quit doing this stuff, you wouldn't have to repent. That's right. <laughs> well, body, if you get in line and behave, you wouldn't have to repent. But it's not going to quit unless you make it. That's right. That's why, That's where it goes back to to. Every man shall bear his own burden. You have to make your flesh comply. That's right. Nobody else can do it. And it starts with controlling your thoughts. The second you have a thought, well, I can talk like they can talk. That's the moment you need to open up your mouth and say, absolutely not. You will not talk that way. And when your tongue goes, oh, you think so? Watch this. Bleepity bleep bleep bleep. That's when you take a hold of your flesh. With your spirit, and you walk up to that person, and you say boldly, you're not meekly and sadly and softly, but you walk up boldly to that person, and you say, I'm sorry, I'm a child of God, and I do not talk that way. I have just lost my witness, and that is not okay. Will you please forgive me? Because this is what I should have said. And they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. No, it's not. I'm a Christian, and I don't talk that way. I just lost my witness. And that's not okay. Oh, everybody does it. We all talk that way. No. And you keep doing it and doing it until they get the idea and they say, bet, (laughs) forgiven. But if they say, oh, it's okay, and then you walk away, you're not training your flesh. Your flesh is training you. Just a couple more verses. All right. So, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. Listen, if you will not quit, you will overcome. Amen. If you will not quit, you will overcome. If you will not quit, you will get control of your flesh. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially under them who are of the household of faith. Now, notice this says, we're to do good to all men. Doesn't it say that? We're to do good, we're to, do good to all. But especially onto the household of faith. So many times our brothers and sisters struggle in need because we're so busy putting the poor and the out of the church first that we don't even recognize that our people in our church and the household of faith need help. Which is one thing that we do in this house. One thing we do in this house is we put an emphasis on taking care of the of the house of faith first. Does that mean that we don't take care of the household out there? No, it doesn't mean that at all. There, Jackie. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that we we do help them, but not at the cost of the people in the church. Not at the cost of the people in the church. If we know there's a need in the church, we're going to meet that need first. We're going to meet that need first. That's what he's talking about here. It, it breaks my heart when people that actively come to church, actively support the church, actively are pushing into the things of God, and they go without being blessed because our focus is misplaced. Breaks my heart. Breaks God's heart. Just a couple more verses. There's not a lot of commentary on these last few verses. Okay. All right. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. 
There's a suggestion that because of the perils that Paul had been through, uh, that perhaps he was losing his eyesight or perhaps he was weakened and he was having to write in larger print than normal in order to see or to be able to actually print. And he was letting, so what he was saying is he was letting the Galatians know this letter is so important that I have really worked to get this to you. Just, just basically, he basically he was saying, "Look at the effort that I have gone through to get this teaching to you." All right, verse twelve. There's all on that note. There's also a, a, a thought that he wrote Galatians and Hebrews together, and they were all part of one letter. So, it, in, on the one hand, he was talking to to the Galatians in the church of Galatians, saying, "Hey, don't be." Mess, don't don't uh, don't listen to these Jews that are trying to lead you back under the law. And then, under the other hand, he's talking to the Jews. Yeah, and that's so. So there's a couple of reasons why this this is here. But the point is, is he he went to a lot of work to get us the information, that, and because it was important to have. All right, verse twelve. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. He said, basically, he said, these people are getting you under the law because they don't want to be persecuted because of the cross like we are. He, basically, they're after their own agenda. He said, it's not, what they're coming to you for is not about God. It's about their own agenda, and don't be mistaken. Verse, That's really what he's saying. Verse 13, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. They want to be able to say, look at me, look at who I got converted. They're looking at the numbers. We're not looking at the numbers. We're looking at getting people into heaven. If, it's, if, all, you get, if all you get through your entire life is you to heaven, that's plenty. That's all, that's all, that's all Noah got. You know, Mo, you know, Noah preached all the years he was making the, the ark, and the only people that went with him were the people that he said, get on the boat, was his family. It, that's it. It was him and his family. He had no converts other than him and his family. And it wasn't even his aunts and his uncles. It was him, his wife, his boys, and their wives. He did plant seeds, but all those yes. seeds died. <laughs> in the water, but we kept record. We kept record. Come on. Right. Just a couple more verses. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He said, listen, he said, I ain't glorifying nothing but Jesus in the cross. That's it. That's all that matters is Jesus in the cross. He said, I'm crucified onto the world. He said, basically, he said I'm not putting on the world. He said, I, I've, died, I've died to the world. I'm crucified to the world. He said, <laughs> and, and the world onto me. He said, I ain't no world left in me. We need to be like Paul. We need to get the world out of us. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. We are to become new creatures, and it's up to us to become those new creatures. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. And what is the, new, what is the rule? Walking in the Spirit, becoming that new creature. Becoming that new creature. 
from henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Listen, you go over there to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, around verse 23, I think it is. You'll see Paul list the list of what he had been through. He had been striped uh 40 times save one, so 39 times. He had been whipped 39 times, three different times. Three different times. Some some theologians say that those were the marks of slavery. He was never a slave, but those. But when you would look at somebody's back who had been whipped on three separate occasions, they would assume that he was a slave. But he was, you know, he was never, he he was never a slave in that regard. Uh, he was shipwrecked multiple times. He was in the sea a day and a night. He had gone through periods of time. He was in his own countrymen came against him, and he, uh, I think he was I think he was beaten with rod, with rods twice. That's not even the whipping. That's the rods. That's a different type of beating. Yep, he was stoned to death and then came back to life. Came back. He was stoned. <laughs> yeah, a bit by. I mean, so what he was saying, he said, in my physical flesh. I carry the marks of persecution. And why did he carry the marks of persecution in his flesh? Because Christ was worth it. And we are afraid to carry the persecution of somebody's dirty looks. Somebody saying, well, oh, you're one of them Jesus people. Oh, you don't talk to us, therefore you don't belong to us. We don't even bury the persecution of rejection. Not only that, we're just afraid. That we can, we can sometimes be afraid of just what people might think about that's us. That's right. But Paul they don't said, even say anything, and yet we're afraid. That's right. Paul said, "Listen," he said, "He said, man, I've put up with everything man can do, and now they don't ever bother me anymore. Now, haven't been beat, thank God. Pray I never am. But here, but as far as as far as being concerned about what people think about me, I have not 100% licked it, but I have gotten to the point where I can shake it off in about five to ten minutes. Where it used to be what people thought of me, it took me months to shake it off. But now I'm like, you don't like me? Oh, well, Jesus said, count it all joy when I get persecuted because it's not me that they hate but him. Praise God, I'm doing something right. They hate me. That Somebody out there hates me. Therefore, I'm doing something right. It's okay. I don't mind. All right. Verse 18, the final verse in, in Galatians. Galatians. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. With your spirit. He said, listen, he said, he said, the grace of the Lord is with your spirit. He, that B is italicized, which means he said the grace of the Lord with your spirit. In other words, if you've got the spirit of Jesus Christ, his grace is with you. His grace is sufficient. He told Paul, when Paul said, this devil is after me, he, the Lord looked at him and said, my grace is sufficient with you for you. In other words, that grace that's on the inside, that grace of God, no matter what you're up against, the grace of God will carry you through. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. We finished Galatians by the end of the year. And we it did it. And it didn't take six months. <laughs> Just three. Four. <laughs> three or four months. I don't know. Well, glory to God. If you've got a tithe and an offering, Pastor Mike, if you'll bless the tithe and offering, we'll sow the seed to support the house. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've sowed in our hearts. Lord, uh, 
help us to water it and keep it alive and and to meditate on it day and night and and help us to get it down deep on the inside of us so that it becomes a part of us and it affects our lives and we show the fruit of this seed that was sown. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for your word. We want to see your work done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we sow into your kingdom with a grateful heart, with a joyous heart, with a generous heart because you gave so much more to us, Lord. We just love you and we thank you. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy. You must leave, and you must leave our things and our health and our our bodies alone. You must leave our loved ones alone. You must stay out of our lives in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Well, glory to God, Father. We thank you. Your word is true, and your word is always working. Father, we thank you for the seed sowed in Jesus' mighty name. Oh, we place a demand upon the harvest. In Jesus' name, you can serve the people.